This name of the series is called One Another. And what it does is it focuses on the importance of having a good, godly, Christian community in your life. Um, this one another phrase in the English is derived from the Greek word alelone, which translated means one another. Alelone is used in the New Testament over a hundred times, but 59 of those times are specific commands that teach us about what it means to be in community together. So the goal of these four weeks that we're spending together is to elevate the importance of a healthy, godly community in your life. One of the things that I've learned as a pastor is that every single week, at least once, sometimes many, many times, I will encounter a family that has um, had some sort of major difficulty that's happened. Could be loss of a job, could be the loss of a loved one, uh, a bad diagnosis, whatever it is, something has happened and it's caused them to, to reach out to me or to connect in some way. And what I've discovered over the years of, how many ever years it's been of, of being in ministry, is that those people, those families that are anchored in godly Christian community fare far better than those who don't have that community around them to support. Now, that's not to say that if crisis hits, you can't build godly community, because you can, but it's so much better. I find that it's so much better if you already have those people living in your life and you've built that support system and people can just come to your side and, you know, just do all the things that we're supposed to do as a godly community. So we're talking about this because I believe it is so crucial for us as a church. And honestly, as we get into the series, I believe that in living in this healthy community, this is how God reveals himself to the world, how we love one another, how we care for one another. When people see us living in that way, that's really the picture that God wants the world to see. Now, as the church, I don't think we've done a very good job of that, but that's another whole sermon. But anyways, in that understanding of, of loving one another. So the, the best way that I, I think I found last week, it was interesting watching you guys learn as we did this, that God has placed us in community, is by talking about the Lord's Prayer. Just for a moment, right? We, we think of the Lord's Prayer as being an isolated prayer that we pray for ourselves, maybe every day or in the evening. But if you just look at the structure of the prayer, God has built community into it. What's the very first word of the Lord's Prayer? It's our. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give this day daily bread and forgive our, our trespasses as forgive who trespass against. Right? So in that, just in that prayer alone, when Jesus gave that to us, he built the awareness of biblical Christian community into our lives. Remember walking through those moments of being offended, being hurt, trying to pursue God, praying for our daily needs, need to be together in, in, in that godly community. And so just by looking at that, you see it. So last week, we started off by, um, by looking at the first one another statement um, that, is, that is issued by Jesus in John chapter 13. He, he starts this statement um, or, or this use of this phrase in John 13 after um, the washing of the feet. So this is that farewell discourse. He washes all the disciples' feet. He tells them that Judas is going to betray him. And then Jesus says, Behold, I give you a new command that you love one another. As I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. And it's by this, loving one another, that the world will know that you are my disciples. And so he gives us this phrase of how to be in community and how to be together. And what we talked about was that awareness of in those last moments together, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, all of them. 
the one that was going to betray him, the one that was going to deny him, the ones that were going to fall asleep while they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus makes the decision, regardless of how they're going to respond and treat him, to love them well. And so at the end of that, when he says, love one another as I have loved you, he sets the pattern for how we're supposed to take care of one another. And he says, this is how people will know that you belong to me. So we're supposed to be living into that understanding. Well, then we took that command and we went over to John chapter 17, which is when Jesus prays to the Father. And he says, Father, as I am in you and you are in me, uh, allow us to be one. And you take that understanding of one and the understanding of one another and you pull them together and you get the picture of what it means to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship one another. So here's the big takeaway. If I love you, then in essence, I'm loving God. If you love me because we're one, in essence, we love God. But let's, let's just go a step further. If I love you, I'm also loving myself because we love one another. And so the best version of you is the best version of me, is the best version of God to be seen by everybody else that that looks at the way the church is. So as believers, we should never be fighting and, and being brutal to one another and those people that are in the faith because the best version of you is the best version of God. So I should be wanting to stand alongside you, love you, encourage you, and help you to be better so that the world can see the relationship that we have. So that builds the foundation around that. Now, as we go on into our lesson today, we're going to do one of my favorite things, which is to travel. We're going to go to the city of Colossae, and we're going to read the letter of Colossians. Because what happens with the apostles is they pick up this phrase, um, alelone, or this word alelone, and they use it later on to teach the, the early church what it means to be in community. So with love one another as the main foundation they create all of these other derivatives as to how we're going to love one another. And so in Colossians, we're going to look at five of the one another statements that help us to love one another well. But before we do that, we're going to do what I think you guys all love to do, which is to look at a map. Y'all like maps, don't you? And so I've got the wand of power, and um, we're going to put a map on the board, and this is a map of the area where we find Colossae. Now, just to locate ourselves here on the wall, um, we have... Over here is Israel. Um, Here's Jerusalem down here in the corner. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And so here's Egypt down here on the the southern part of this map. Over here on the east side is is Israel. And up here is is what's modern day Turkey. But you can see the different regions, Galatia, Cappadocia, um, uh, Asia, um, Mycenae. These are the names of the areas during that time in antiquity. Um, Here's Greece or Macedonia over here on this side. The area that we're going to focus on for the, the sermon today is right here inside of the box. And I want you to pay attention to three particular cities. Colossae is right there, Laodicea is right there, and Aeropolis is right there. Three major cities in antiquity. Of course, we're going to focus on Colossae. But um, here's what you will need to know about this geographic region. Colossae has been in historical records and known to have, have been populated since 3000 B.C., So there's a great history with this city. And and you may say, well, why is that? The way that the land is set up, a mountain range, is that there's a valley that Colossae 
Laodicea and Aeropolis sit in, which is called the, the Lycus Valley because the Lycus River runs through it. And so if you were an emperor or you had a nation and you wanted to move your troops from one place to the other or from here to here, you had to come down through this mountain range and navigate through this area. And so when you get to 481 BC, you guys have heard of Xerxes, he's moving the Persian army over to go attack Greece, and this is where you get the movie 300, the Spartans that hold the pass as long as they can so Athens can be um, evacuated and they save the whole navy. Well, as Xerxes is moving across this region, he comes up to this area and they settle down here for just a brief amount of time to restore, to rebuild. And he makes mention in 481 BC of Colossae. And he says Colossae is a great city. So we have our city that has this letter early on in history of, as being a prominent place. Now, one of the things you need to know is that this region is volcanic, has a lot of earthquakes. And so if you take this area, which as now we move into the time of Jesus and Paul and our disciples, um, the, the, the city of, of Colossae used to house uh, anywhere from 25 to 30,000 people. But because it is in a volcanic area with earthquakes, somewhere around 17 AD, which is where um, Jesus was already living over in Jerusalem. He would have been a 17 or a 15-year-old young man. During that time, there's a massive earthquake in this area. And the Roman road is what connected all three of those cities and goes all the way through. This massive earthquake destroys the Roman road. And so after 17 AD, Rome comes back in and they rebuild the road, but it's easier for them to not collect Colossae in, but they go ahead and they build the road and they, collect Laod they connect Laodicea, Aeropolis, and they go right on down the valley, thus cutting Colossae out from the Roman road. Now, just to kind of move back into our modern time, we all have had some sort of experience where we've known a small town where they build an interstate or a major road. And when you build that interstate or that major road away from a small town, what happens? It goes into decline. So what used to be a very prominent city just starts to go in decline. It goes from 25,000 down to a few thousand people. So when we read our letter here in just a moment, I want you to know that it's written to a much smaller place. And if you want to know what their hearts would have been like, consider it. We've all had some of those feelings that go along with that. At one point, there was so much pride and so much understanding in your city, and then it's now minimized and it's so far less. And if you were a farmer, now you have to take all of your goods from there and you have to take them somewhere else. The main um, uh, trades in, the, in, in um, this, I thought this was interesting, in Colossae uh, were figs, dates, uh, wool, and then, this is really cool, we're going to talk about this when we get to Philippians, they grew these flowers called um, cyclamen flowers, which are purple or crimson colored. And so during that time, think, think Roman Empire. All of their garments were uh, either royal, think purple, or they were a cr or crimson in color. Very expensive the way that they used to do this. They had to gather the color or the dye from mollusks. And so along comes these people in Colossae and they find out that these flowers, when crushed up, they create this purple dye and they can take that wool and they can dye it. And it created an entire trade system that really supported this area and supported this system. So when we talk about Philippians and we talk about Lydia, I want you to know that it's possible that Paul's missionary journeys and the spread of the gospel during that time might have been totally and completely funded by a woman. 
because of her trade. Just throwing that out there, letting you guys have to deal with that. We'll look forward to that when we get to Philippians. But um, so the earthquake happens. The city is set apart. The other thing that you need to know, because we're about to dive in and read, read the letter, is that because of its history, thousands of years old, that means that many different civilizations moved through Colossae. They would, some people would live there. They'd settle down. Another group would come in. Rome came in. Greece came in. The Persians came in. Fergie was there, so they were there. And, and what happens is you have this melting pot of culture, a melting pot of religious beliefs, and so they just blend together all of those belief systems. So we're going to find when Paul writes this letter um, in 61, 62 AD, he writes it to combat false teaching that is starting to creep into the church. Because of those other faith systems, they started to creep in and they started to cause them to, to misunderstand that Jesus was God. Um, and those faith, those faith systems are based on um, the study of angels. Um, they believe in what's called a dualism, which is that there is a heaven and there's an earth and, and the two can't connect because if heaven touches earth, then it's automatically polluted. So you can't have the son of God come from heaven to earth because then he would no longer be a deity. And so you, you start to look at their faith systems. It's important for Paul to try and fix that. So we're going to read here in a second how he does that. But um, one other piece of information, how does the church start in Colossae? I, I love this. When Paul's on one of his missionary journeys, he spends an extended amount of time in Ephesus, um, which is directly to the west on the coast, 125 miles. And so he's preaching. A person in, hears him preaching, and this person's name is Epaphras. Epaphras hears him preach. He receives the gospel, and he goes 125 miles back to Colossae. And he starts to share the message with his family and friends, and boom, a church begins. And that church starts to grow and starts to expand Scholars don't believe it's a large church, but nevertheless, it's a church that we know because we have a letter in our Bible that, go, that, that is ascribed to it. And so later, when Epaphras goes and visits Paul in prison, he tells them about the false teachings that are taking place. Colossians is him trying to fix it. So we have this spread of the gospel that is so profound. Paul never, ever goes there. You want to see pictures of Colossae? Okay, here you go. Here's the first picture of Colossae. That is not a sign from antiquity. Can we all agree with that? But what you see in the back is Colossae. Go ahead and go to the second picture. It's not ever been excavated. Wah, wah, wah. It's so depressing. Actually, that's not true. They started a year ago. And so they're just now digging through it. Turkey is not a Christian, is not a, is a Christian nation, so they've not cared about Colossae. So right about now, now they're going in there and they're digging it. So, but here's what I want you to see. Look at the mountain range on the back. Go ahead and go to the next picture. Look at the mountain range on the back. Can you all agree that it would be important to have this plain to be able to cross your troops through? So it was an important region to be able to do that. Um, anyways, uh, did I already show those pictures and I showed them to you twice? Okay, good. All right. Oh, Aeropolis, where they built the road. Let's show those pictures. These are awesome. So where the Roman road did ultimately go, here's the road. Now look at Aeropolis. This, this beautiful, big, burgeoning place that grew because the road was transferred there. And um, go and go to the next one. Here you have these big Roman theaters. Um, and so this, you're looking inside of Aeropolis, and they believe that there's a theater in Colossae. They just haven't unpacked it yet or uncovered it yet. So you kind of see how that road made such a big difference for them. All right. Um, so Paul writes to fix, and I'm sorry, man, I just chased 12 squirrels. We're going to get back on track. Paul writes the letter to fix the false teaching. In chapters one and two, please, please, please go home and read them. He combats this false teaching about Jesus not being God by giving some of the most specific, beautiful writing. 
that Jesus is the firstborn among all creation and that he is supreme. He is all, he's in all. He was there in the very beginning. Go look at it because it'll really build your faith in understanding the supremacy of Christ. But then as you get to the end of chapter two, he opens up this topic about false teaching, that if you believe that Christ is supreme, don't let false teachers come in and take you off track. Continue to believe that Christ is supreme. Hold on to that teaching. Then you get to chapter three. This is where all of our one another statements are. And this is where he talks about biblical community. We're going to unpack that in a second. And then chapter four, true to form with Paul, pleasantries. He talks about Aristarchus, Tychicus, Onesimus, all those funny isses. And he talks about all those people and all of their work in the kingdom and ties that whole sermon up with a nice, neat bow. And he sends them off with the letter. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. And um, let's talk about these one another statements and see what, what Paul is teaching us about biblical community. Here we go. So Colossians chapter 3 starts off with a single word. And that single word is so. Everybody say so. So my wife, who's sitting on the front row, so I, I'm acutely aware that I'm about to get in trouble. She likes to give me lots of information when she needs me to do something. Guys, you ever just want the facts? Anybody ever just want the facts? Right? So like she'll start in the information and about two sentences in, I don't hear anything else until I hear the word so. So when I hear the word so, I'm like, okay, now I need to pay attention because I'm going to find out next exactly what I'm supposed to do. So that's when I lock in. That is, that is precisely what Paul does here, which means he draws in the awareness in chapter two. Am I still okay? You good? Okay, good. I draws in the awareness of chapter two and connects it to chapter three. And so what he says basically is that Christ is supreme. So don't let these other false teachings teach you something different or take it away from you. So if you believe that Christ is supreme, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now I, I'm just blown away when I read this because it so parallels what we talked about last week. So when Jesus says, Father, I am in you, you are in me, so I pray that they would be in us, talks about that awareness of being one. And, and, and the understanding is not that we would all be the same as in homogenous, but we would all be one in our mission, in our heart, and in our connection to the living God and the purpose that he's given us in life. So when he starts in verses one and two and says, set your mind on things that are above, this is exactly what he's talking about. Get your focus right. Put your heart on those things that they're supposed to be on. He's starting to deal with us as individuals and bring us to a good, healthy place. And he says, but not on things that are here on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden. As, as you are in me and as I am in you, make us one. Our lives are hidden in Christ. What this means is not my will, but thy will be done. So we are hidden in the life of Christ. So verses one through four is almost verbatim what we talked about last week. That Paul is saying, set your mind on things that are above. Be in that one mindset. And then verse five. He says, put to death, therefore. So, so get your mind on things above. And then he says, put to death. Now, I love um, when two messages come together, but do you remember last week we were talking about Christ being glorified and in the gospel of John, what he means when he says he will be glorified. For John, Jesus was glorified in three ways um, because to be glorified means to be lifted up. He was glorified in his death because he was lifted up on a cross. He was glorified in his resurrection because he was lifted up and he was glorified in his um, ascension because he's lifted up and he goes to the Father. 
So Jesus says in his prayer, he says, um, I take that, which, that glory that I've received and now I give it to you. And you can read that and you can wonder, well, is he just going to give us the glory for the death that he suffered? And the truth is, no, there is, that's there. But the understanding is that we are invited to live as Christ, to say, not my will, but thy will be done. And so we participate in the laying down of our lives. So this put to death is an understanding of getting rid of the garbage that's in our life that isn't supposed to be there. And the first list that he gives us are those big, core, not godly things that really define and drive our actions in life. So listen to this list. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. So he says, you have to put those things to death. This is about you. If, if you have been raised with Christ, got to get rid of that garbage that's in your life. Then he transitions into verse eight to take it one step further. He says, but now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. So get rid of those big core ugly things. And now he's going to talk about our interaction, our anger, our slander. This is the way we treat one another. This is those, how those big core gross things show up in our lives. They make us mad. They make us slander. They make us tear other people down. So get rid of the big chunks and now start to adjust the way that you live and the way that it hits, hits life. And then we get our first one another statement, verse nine. Uh, and he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old. It's important for you to know that he's using garment tech, uh, terminology. So remember Colossae worked in textiles. So strip off the old. He's going to talk about clothing. Strip off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And so he says, he says, do not lie to one another. Now you can read that and you might think to yourself, he's specifically talking about not telling or don't, don't tell half truths or don't tell a mistruth. But in context, what he's saying is do not lie. Don't say that you're a believer and that your heart has been raised and then live in a different way. So this is talking about hypocrisy, saying that you're a believer and then not living into that. He says, do, do not lie. Take that garment off and put the new garment on. You're a new creation fashioned in the image of the creator. He even gives us the picture of what we're supposed to look like. That makes sense to everybody? So now he's bringing it all full circle. So the first one another statement has to do with the gut check of let's be authentic to what we believe. If we believe in Jesus, let's allow that to be the case in how we live in life. Verse 11, he says, in that renewal, so in that transformation, if you're going to be a believer, then you need to know that your life needs to be transformed. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So, so this is awesome because we're back to that one terminology. So, so if you're a believer and you have put the old off and you've put the new on, then you are together. There's no Jew or Greek or Gentile or Scythian. We're all together as one. That's a beautiful melting pot message for Colossae. Can we all agree? I mean, it's just powerful how he presents that. And so just quickly rolling on, verse 12 now, he's going to go into the healthy biblical community mindset. So he's established the fact that we need to be authentic. And we need to live into our calling and our choice and our decision that we've made. 
But now he says, as God's chosen ones, usually that's, think of Paul, you'd think he'd be saying that to a a Jewish community. Mm -mm. For him, God's chosen ones is those who believe. Jews, Gentiles, Scythians. He, He pulls us all together. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves. There's another textile conversation with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So he starts to give us now the image of the creator. He's allowing us to see Jesus and and what this different image would be like. But then we get to our next two one another statements. Verse 13, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other or forgive one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Here's what I love about this. Paul creates a community where we are being compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. But he knows that when you find yourself in any community, offense is going to happen. Amen? There's always people inside of a community that are going to offend somebody else. I've done it myself. Some of y'all will just keep on moving. You You get the point. So he's built in this one another statement that allows us to deal with broken hearts, offenses, being hurt. Pretty powerful as he kind of instructs this. So that one another statement is teaching us what it means to be a healthy community. And then he goes on in verse 14 and he gives us back the original statement. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Love one another as I've loved you. To me, that is the baseline one another statement that we're gonna love each other. All these others are derivatives of that, that love. He said, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in the one body and be thankful. But look at verse 16. Now he shifts. So not just a community that can be offended. He's now going to teach us what it means to grow together. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish the word, one another. Teach and admonish one another. Those are our next two uh, one another statements. The word teach means to dictate or to instruct. Um, and the word admonish means, we think of admonish, and it, like it sounds like a very harsh word, but the word admonish in the Greek means to correct gently. So, so teach one another and gently restore one another or to correct one another. So he gives us the ability to course correct and to solve and to work through those issues. And look at here, he says, and, um, reach, excuse me, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God. That talks about the community, but the, but the phrase in all wisdom. Wisdom is a general word. I'd like to look at that and go, he's talking about teaching the word of God. He is, but he's also talking about all wisdom. That means teach and admonish everyone in all sorts of ways in life that can help out the biblical community. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through, through him. Um, th- then he goes on in a chapter, then he, then he mentions wives, husbands, children, slaves, masters, and then he brings out and closes out the book by writing all the pleasantries and, and seals off the letter to the Colossians. So you see this design that he gives us for biblical community. And so as I sit and I think about um, the challenge that they were facing, which is false teaching, people coming into the church, giving a false narrative that is taking them off of sound theology, sound doctrine. When I think about that and I think about what Paul has done in these one another statements, I think there's a powerful truth for us to be able to garner today. And here's what I would say is that in these one another statements, I honestly believe that Paul's solution to dealing with false teaching 
is to surround ourselves or to have in our lives a healthy, godly community. Now, I say healthy, godly community. That word healthy, I put on the front of that because I think we've experienced godly communities that aren't healthy. But I think for Paul, if he's thinking about combating false teaching, for him, when I look at this letter to the Colossians, he puts so much emphasis on how we govern and how we live together that I think for him, if you have a healthy, godly community, then I honestly believe it will combat and deal with false teaching. So let's talk through these five one another statements. Let's talk through them. So the first one um, is, uh, is, to, is to not lie to one another. So he's talking about living your authentic self, not your authentic self. He's talking about truly being a believer. And, and this is the best way that I can say this in the way that I think it makes most sense. I wish that in the body of Christ, people who say that they are believers in Jesus would act like believers in Jesus. Now just think about that. Is that I mean, is that hard to understand? Don't we all wish that people who said, this is, this is rocket science, I believe in Jesus, would act like a believer in Jesus, okay? But you got the point, right? So what he's saying is, if you say that, let's don't lie to one another, do it. You should expect to have to be transformed. You should expect to have to live differently in your life. There are things that you're going to have to quit doing if you say that you're a believer. That first one another statement is don't lie to one another. Be true to the belief and the decision that you've made in your life. So everybody got that? So the first one another statement is about being healthy yourself, not trying to live a dual life where you've got a foot in both worlds. If you believe in Jesus, live according to what you know to be true. The second two are the bear with one another and forgive one another. So he creates this community, puts us in community where we are all God's chosen ones. And he starts off by saying, being clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Sounds like the happiest, nicest people on the world. And then offense comes along. What do you do? He says, you bear with one another when somebody offends and you forgive each other. And so I'll just say this. When an offense occurs, who has the ability to forgive that offense? The person who's offended, right, is the person who has the ability to forgive the offense. So what do you do in a society like ours today where we, we've made a living off of being offended and we carry it as a badge and we're known more for the things that we're against than the things that we're for? And so it's powerful for me when I look at this because he's teaching us inside of a biblical community to not be that way. That there is a course and a process by which we need to work through some of our difficulties and some of our differences. So he builds that into godly community. And, and so if you just stop there, you're missing probably the most important part. A community that's compassionate and kind and, um, and humble and meek, and they bear with one another, they forgive one another. Sounds like a community that you could go in and just run right all over them except that you get the next two one another statements, to teach and to admonish. And here's the powerful part. It's not, and we've put, a, we've put a pastor in your community to teach you, and we put a pastor in your community that's supposed to admonish you. What's the statement? Teach one another. The answer is one another. Teach, admonish, okay? This is biblical community. I want you to think about it. So when you're offended and you're hurt and you go through those times, God has given you the ability, he's given you the understanding to go and deal with, to teach somebody what scripture truly says, or to admonish someone gently to restore them and say, hey, what you're doing here in your life is not good for you, it's not good for your family, and you should consider a different course, right? But it's not just in biblical teaching, 
It's in every aspect of life. Some of you are, are financial advisors. You can stand alongside of people who are train wrecks in life. Teach them and admonish them in, in sort of wisdom. Some of you uh, go down the list of all the things that God has taught you in life, and you know that you can use those things to help build a healthy biblical community where we can interact, grow, and represent God in this world in a way that is healthy. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? Here's, yeah. Um, here's what I, my, my father has this statement, and he's sitting here on the front row too, so I could get in trouble twice today. Um, my father has a statement that, 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 that is, I, I'm just, I've become aware today that's biblical, so he's pretty awesome like that, where two or more are gathered together. You talk about the presence of God being there, but my dad used to always say, he said, Scott, when you get together with someone and you have a conversation, it's never just those two thought processes that go together. There's always a third voice that's created. When you get your heart together with somebody else, when you're trying to solve a problem or when you're trying to, to go through something, when you put two people together, there's always a third way that is created that helps to navigate forward, that brings about something new. And here, here's the most powerful thing that we need to know about who we are. If you're a believer, then we are one with the God of all creation. And we gather together and there's my voice and your voice, then there is also the voice of God that is the God that created he can help us to navigate through, to solve, to sort, to come up with all sorts of solutions for any of the stuff that we're walking through. And if there's not a solution for it, then to offer us peace in those moments. That's the godly community that we're called to be a part of. And yet, for some reason, we set ourselves aside or we pull ourselves away and we, and we neglect sometimes that gathering together, that understanding you know, it's, it's perfect that Cat is launching groups during this time. And it's, it's a shameless plug to say, if you don't have a biblical community, find one. It, maybe that's not the route to be able to do that. I know you, so many people have bad experiences, but find a biblical community, a healthy biblical community, because this is so vitally important for you in life. I believe it with all my heart. And, and here's the final closing. When I think about this message, and I think about what Paul is so desperately trying to teach the Colossians, None of what we just talked about matters without Christ. Jesus is literally the image of what he has asked them to live into. His image, his heart, his passion, how he loved the disciples even when they were unlovable, that's the image of what he gives us to present and to love and to care for one another. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, I wanna offer you an opportunity to open up your heart to become a part of the greatest story that's ever been unfolding. The God that so loved this world that he gave us an example as to how we should live, to truly love one another, to give of ourselves, to lay down our lives so that people can experience the God that loves them as evidence in, their, in his son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And today you can make a decision to open up your heart and believe in Jesus. It's the way to experience eternal life. It's a way to experience life here and now, that eternal life does not start after death. It starts today. Open up your heart and believe in Jesus, and it'll start to transform your life today. And I pray that you'll do that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, and I, th I thank you for messages like this, where we can look at a, a city, a group of people that in some ways experience maybe some of the things that we've tasted, but in other ways, on the pages of history, we're real people trying to navigate through difficult times understanding truth, understanding doctrine, understanding those issues. And Paul teaches them what it means to be together. 
And how when we're together and we're loving and we're caring for one another and restoring for one another, that's when we can truly discover the community that you've intended for us on this side of our faith and on this side of of eternity. God, you've given us that ability to do that. And so I just pray that as believers, you help us to connect. And God, as those who would maybe open up their hearts today and believe that you would start to connect them, start to bring them in, give them those forever families that, that will offer peace and strength in some of the most difficult times in life. God, we love you. <laughs> we trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you, if you will, to stand and join us in, in singing this final song. I just pray that the words will speak to your heart. Um, Addie is over here. She would love to pray with you if, you if you're something we can pray for you about. I'll be on this side, same thing. Altars are open if you want to come down and spend some time in prayer. Thank you for, for being present today.
incredibly thankful that you are a church uh, who has loved me well, who's taught me, who's admonished me when I've definitely needed it, who's brought me back, and who does do the same for each other. The way that y'all love and care for and do life with one another is, uh, is such a blessing to each other, to your lives, and to this community. Whether you're joining us here in the family room or online, uh, we want you to be connected. And maybe if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, we would love to connect with you, have a conversation right out in the Next Steps room. And I promise you, on this first Sunday, we will not admonish you too hard. We will love you well, and we will be, show you all sorts of grace. We would love to connect you. Let's pray. God, we're thankful. We're thankful for this morning we can come together and worship you. Thankful for the groups that meet throughout the week in this community uh, who just learn to do life well, who love one another well, who admonish each other and teach each other and just are there for each other on those rough and difficult days and in the celebrations as well. God, we're praying for those groups. We're praying for, uh, for your spirit and we just love you. We thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love you.